Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we explore all things monster and monster related. I'm your host, Baron Von Frankenstein, and I'm a film historian and author of The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema with bylines from Scream Magazine, Shudders the Bite, and currently Geek Vibes Nation. To celebrate the show's one-year anniversary, the co-hosts are taking over hosting duties. So uh, we have Jeff Ewing, Luna Menwi, and Andre Couture joining us today. Woo-hoo. Yeah, so we're uh, doing The Nanny, which is about a woman that gets fired from her job and dumped by her boyfriend and a cosmetic. She's a cosmetic salesman, and now she's a nanny for three uh, rich children. Oh, shit, that's the wrong nanny. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. No. I missed a I, lot of subtext. Yeah, right? <laughs> she had a rich backstory that we don't even know about. Now um, I want Fran Drescher to be in the other nanny. Fran Drescher is the nanny. <laughs> the nanny. Nanny! Davis as the nanny adds another magnificent performance to her unequaled record of outstanding portrayals. Nanny had been in the family for years. Then, mysteriously, two are dead. Two live on in constant terror. But Nanny wasn't responsible, was she? I'm frightened, Nanny. I'm frightened. Was Nanny to blame when this radiant young mother crumbled into a neurotic woman? But, Nanny, I don't want him home. And young Joey, is he terrorized or terrorizing? He's an homicidal nut. He's a monster. It's the cruelest thing I've ever heard of. What happens if you die in the night? I'm sure I don't know what you mean. What happened? Miss Penn. Go back to bed. What happened? No, we are actually talking about 1965's Hammer film, The Nanny. 
Betty Davis is an English nanny who's in charge of a ruthless 10-year-old named Joey, just discharged from a disturbed children's home where he spent two years undergoing treatment for drowning his little sister in the bathtub. He returns to an unloving father, a fragile mother, and a doting nanny in this disturbing thriller. But we can also talk about Fran Drescher any day of the week. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'll open it up to reviews and then we'll come back to me. Sounds good. Yeah. Who wants to kick it off? Uh, yeah, I'll go. Hey, folks at home, I'm still alive. I'm, I'm hmm, that he knows of. I know of. Um, so many surprises for you guys, uh, guys and gals, and everyone else uh, in this lovely episode. Um, so this was my first time watching the film uh, in preparation for this episode, and uh, I've always been a fan of Hammer Horror and 1960s horror, so it's kind of surprising I never saw it before. But I really enjoyed it. I liked the kind of like suspenseful twists and turns that it throws around and the the actual um nanny betty davis is really intimidating and sus you know it's really easy to be suspicious of her she has a lot of screen presence and a lot of like like slow bubbling under the surface met under the surface menace um i thought that uh, also, for, for a younger actor, Joey gave a really good performance that really kind of sold the odd dynamic between the two. And, yeah, I thought it was really creepy and suspenseful and murdery. And um, I feel like, I, you know, being 1960s, there's uh, some parts of it I feel that don't feel, just individual scenes that don't feel like that modern in a, in, in a way that kind of makes them not land as hard for me as, as they would. But overall, I really liked it. I give it four or five. Thanks. Yeah. That's great. Um, Andre, what did you think of it? Yeah, uh, so this was also my first time uh, watching it in preparation. And it's always been on my list that there's something about like hammers like non full horror properties you know like they're thrillers murder mysteries like uh, i would probably argue that like the maniac might be one of one of those yeah. um and yeah there's something really cool about about this film that uh it seems like a straightforward uh family drama something that like uh, a lot of different studios might have taken a mold from and it just like morphs into like this really sharp psychological uh like thriller aspect to it so it it, it doesn't come across as like a standard progression because it comes so quickly and so late into the last act, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it it feels different after having seen it and uh, watching it for the first time in real time. Mm -hmm. So, 
Yeah, I think I would go with with Jeff's review and and give it four out of five. Like once the credits roll, you just it it sort of sinks in a little bit, and then it hits a little bit harder after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like it's a time bomb of a movie. Yeah, I think it's super fair. So, um, yeah, four out of five. I guess my review would be um, I picked it, so obviously I like it. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's it's really good. It's really creepy. Um, it, there's um, so much great stuff in it. I mean, Betty Davis is amazing, of course. Um, you have Jimmy Sangster, who wrote, gosh, some of the most amazing Hammer stuff. X the Unknown, Curse of Frankenstein, uh, mm-hmm. Brides of Dracula. Um horror of dracula like he did the snorkel which i think is a really cool yeah it was pretty fun yeah okay yeah um so yeah i mean it's uh he also wrote the anniversary with betty davis which was another hammer film um that i was actually also considering but but the anniversary is not really like horror it's more like um like a almost like what they would call like a kitchen sink drama. Um, even mm-hmm. though Betty Davis's character is very almost grotesque-like um, in that one. But yeah, um, it, it's really um, just kind of unnerving. Um, it's definitely, I think, really, um, I mean, does it kind of an excellent job with just like the... Uh, photography like harry waxman also like photographed the wicker man so um among other things but yeah i mean it, it's definitely strange um it's definitely offbeat um just re-watching it it was um kind of amazing just how like andre said it's it just doesn't feel like kind of anything else like it almost mm-hmm. feels like out of step with time but I also kind of like the like perverse uh, Mary Poppins angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's even a Mary Poppins joke in it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of a fun um, play on that, and um, yeah, and you know I forgot just how like heartbreakingly sympathetic um, Betty Davis's character is. Um, does she even have a name? I think it's just Nanny. Yeah, it's just Nanny. It's just um, Nanny. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what was her name? Oh, it's just Nanny. They can just I tell you what Nanny. my on a on a name related topic? Can I tell you what my biggest criticism of the movie is? What's that? Okay, so there's a Doctor Medman, right? And there's Doctor <laughs> Beastmaster, and they were so fucking close to there being a Doctor Madman and a Doctor Beastmaster, <laughs> but not. Yeah. <laughs> it offends me that missed potential. A missed opportunity for sure. <laughs> and, and then they could have a title like Dr. Beastmaster Must Die. And then the the, the Beast Must Die. 100%. And it definitely has to have like a <laughs> uh, like a dead nanny breakdown where it's like, who's the dead nanny? Yeah, I'm 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 glad y'all dug it because it's definitely a favorite of mine. Like I, I, I think like Scream of Fear is probably like my absolute favorite of like the post-psycho like Oh yeah, hammer thrillers. That um, one is so good. Yeah, I'm actually thinking I'm probably gonna rewatch that uh, later today. But um, I don't know. I kind of wanted to highlight this, like I said, because I feel like it's kind of um, underappreciated. And um, 
it's not super hard to find. I mean, I have the DVD, and I think that's out of print, but and we all managed to find it, so it's not that bad. But yeah, it's uh, it's really good. I, I like just how unsettling it is. I did not get a chance to watch the film prior to recording this episode because I'm so good at doing homework. Um, but I'm like super excited about it, and I have a lot of questions about what I've read about it so far, so I'm looking forward to the deep dive Awesome. Section. Yeah, awesome. Um... Yeah, well, I mean, it has dead kids in it, so I feel like, Luna, this is, like, right up your alley. A hundred percent. Like, definitely going to be watching this. Um, like, how many... So, we should have rated it by dead kids. Out of... From <laughs> one to five dead kids, how? <laughs> I have questions about some of the relationships in the film and how they're portrayed. I, I'm just curious about y'all's takes on those sort, oh. sorts of oh, things. Okay. I don't, I don't necessarily... I, I figured that would come more naturally in the deep dive section. Yeah, um, yeah, that's perfect. yeah, definitely. That is a good segue. So we'll take a deep dive into the nanny now. So um, I think um, obviously we're going to get into some spoiler territories. Um, so this is your spoil spoiler warning. Um, but it's kind of hard to talk about the movie and it's kind of deeper themes without really talking about the ending. Well, that's your warning. I guess the biggest kind of most obvious theme would just be it's kind of a tricky topic, but abortion is kind of like the main kind of thing because we find out that, um, you know, the titular nanny um, finds out that her daughter had an illegal abortion, uh, which kind of leads to um, her kind of having this psychotic break and accidentally drowning the uh, little girl like it wasn't actually the brother that did it it was her mm -hmm. um and you know i didn't really have time to google this but i'm like kind of curious what like english law was around this time mm. as far as like if abortions were legal or not um so i i just gosh it's it's i think that's kind of what gives the movie its bite um it's just how heartbreaking and sad that is um and it's almost just like you know like when the doctor was like wait was it the doctor it was like the um yeah it was like the doctor that was with her that was like you know i was with her her last moments and the doctors weren't sterile they just want to you know get their money get paid and stuff um mm -hmm. And I mean, gosh, that's just heart-wrenching. Like, I just think that that's so awful. What do you all think about that kind of aspect of, of the story? I feel like... Uh, I mean, it might have been intended to draw a critical lens at restrictive abortion laws in the UK. But I was not a big fan of that plot point, per se. Um, it adds like a touch of irony to the whole situation and it, um, and it kind of echoes the whole like child murder plot line, but like abortion is not murdering a child. So like it's mm -hmm. kind of acci maybe accidentally yep. regressive in ways that I feel like, like right now living in the contemporary United States and the fact that like there's a subset of society trying to put us in like 
their imagined version of the 1800s. I just feel mm-hmm. like that's an unnecessary element to the plot that doesn't add anything, but it adds other than like some complications to what the thriller that lands on its own, you know? Yeah. Like I, th- I think that's an interesting, I've never really interpreted it like that. Like I, I didn't really have like a one-to-one for um, her accidentally drowning and the abortion being kind of like, um, like meta text for one another. Um, sure. But um, I mean, I'm not saying that that's an invalid reading. I I guess I just kind of more just thought like more, I guess, landing towards, I think it was just being more critical on the system. And also, like you said, it kind of has a, a touch of irony in, you know, they even kind of, it's not even subtext. It's really just text when the, the guy's like, you know, you take care of other people's children but you don't take care of your own and Mm. i'm kind of like wondering if that isn't like maybe maybe britain's not taking care of her children as well as they could Mm. Mm -hmm. so i think that could maybe be something um if we want to get uh there's that that little bit that uh the man who's there says when when she's just learning about it, that like he, uh, she's willing to go off and uh, spend so much time with another family that doesn't even care about her own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, that's kind of my read on it. Like, I didn't think it was so much like that they were equating the child murder with like abortion murder. I think it uh, honestly, I think it makes like the, like the fact that it makes, um, you know, the victim so sympathetic. I mean, obviously because she is, I mean, the mother um, that died. Right. Um, I don't think it's like a, a condemnation of abortion. I think it's just, tragedy and tragic circumstances and how that kind of domino effect um affected this other family um and you know i mean i will say that like even though i like this movie i think there are some kind of maybe sloppy plotting that you know is not really something that sangster is kind of like he's a good screenwriter, but he's not definitely not infallible. But um, I definitely think that it was trying to make a progressive statement. But um, Andre, how do you how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm thinking that there might be a version of the script where th- this th- that whole moment with her. Uh, discovering her daughter and the the abortion thing um where that uh plays into like the nannies um like i don't want to say like her psychosis but it's it's uh just like how she operates um logically in the film like when she feels compelled to, you know, give the daughter the bath and then like she blinks and then she sees what's really there and then she blinks again. 
you know, um, when she switches between those states. Um, yeah, I guess psychosis is the word for it. Uh, the, mm -hmm. There's probably a version of the script where um, that moment with her daughter and, and the abortion is uh, directly relevant to how she maybe uh, sees like like what a perfect family should be like mother daughter son whatever husband and then they give you grandchildren and like you're supposed to you know further the the family line uh, but it sort of just kind of ends pretty abruptly after that scene uh, it doesn't really play into the rest of the film so it, it seems like it was something that might have just got like truncated from, from the story yeah i mean it definitely does seem like there's some missing pieces i was almost i even when i was taking notes for this um i was even i even made the note that this could be a mini series maybe yeah um yeah, I mean, I think I, so. Yeah, like you could on I mean, I honestly could see this maybe being like retold in like a four uh four part series where it, I don't know, like I, I like I understand like like when you said Andre, like, you know, I feel like they wanted to move the story along quicker, but then I feel like you lose um some pieces. Um, like I thought the yeah. motivation was at times kind of weird. Like, I mean, again, I like this movie, but I can also admit when some of the plotting was maybe not as strong as it could have been. Um, like she clearly got away with it. They think that the, the son did it accidentally. Um, and it's, you know, she's basically gotten away with it scot-free for lack of a better term, but then she kind of feels like she needs to get rid of the family or at least the mother and the son. Um, yeah. So like, I why? Mean, to be fair, to be fair, I, uh, I feel like the, if you have just narrowly gotten away with the murder, the only way to make yourself look less like a suspect is to pile on more murders that you're the only person possible to do them. Yeah. Like uh. definitely like increase <laughs> the amount of de the, the death toll and then make it more centrally connected to you is the best way to go about things. Yeah. And, and I also understand just from like a story standpoint, you kind of need like the conflict. Otherwise you wouldn't really have a movie. You would just have, a child coming home that may or may not have killed his sister. Um, so you almost kind of need that like um, conflict. Um, but I don't know. I just um, I feel like there was maybe a, a cleaner, neater way to connect those dots, I guess. Yeah, I almost feel like it would have been um uh a little tighter if this movie um and i will call it we need to talk about joey uh <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah you get me um no but i i feel like it would be a little bit cleaner if the conflict were like just a little more centrally focused on just her and joey and barely even throw the mom into it except as like someone who's concerned 
and yeah. it becomes then sort of like a because like the strongest part where it lands the most for me is like the kind of battle of wits between Joey who's been blamed for the death and then Annie who has to like keep him fucking quiet and that's definitely where <laughs> the film lands the most and I would just kind of simplify just to that yeah so this yeah. lends to one of the questions I have which is um, just based on like reading through a lot of the synopses that I've found I'm curious what the similarities in the depiction of Nanny and Virginia are like the mother of the sullen douchebag boy and or I mean I don't know that in the synopsis he sounds like he's not a great no. person to be around. <laughs> um, and uh and the, and the nanny herself like uh, like what are the similarities in how they portray these two characters because they both lost a daughter is it like one takes it one direction one takes the other direction I, like I'm just curious about how that shows up so I think that like Virginia um plays it more like she's just completely I think like the synopsis said fragile and I think that's kind of uh like an excellent way to describe describe her and like you it, it, the so um you almost have so they don't really give you much backstory about like so you know Nanny was Nanny for um Virginia and her sister mm -hmm. uh, Peg or Pen. Um and uh you know you get the idea that she's always kind of been like coddled and taken care of and she can't really handle much. And it almost seems like this kind of like drove her maybe to the more extreme end of that. Mm. Where I think Nanny is more somebody that represses and just stiff upper lip carries on until she just cracks would y'all say that was valid mm -hmm. yeah and uh, do you think the film is trying to say anything about the those two um reactions to tragedy i i mean the it, answer could be was, no i i'm just curious i don't i mean i think that i don't know like i, I it sounds weird that I don't have an answer. I think maybe not really because I think it's it's um if it is it's like not surface level. Mhm. Mm like that they ever I never really well I'll I'll say that I never really got the feeling that they were trying to make like a a direct parallel, but you could mm -hmm. you one could draw one for sure. Um, yeah, it it seems like there there's something there but you can tell that they didn't develop it into um into what it could be like for the nanny it's there but it, it comes really late uh for virginia it doesn't seem that they ever address it but there could be something there under the surface mm -hmm. it, yeah. it's intangible it's hard to quantify yeah like it's that's so well said like i think that it's um Again, it's almost like you kind of have to give it your own kind of subtext, which, I mean, yeah, that's probably maybe a fault of the writers. But also, I kind of like how it doesn't necessarily have to spoon feed you all this either. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would have liked, I think what I've. A good liked lady is... would spoon feed you. 
I, well, oh my she, God, does. She, literally, she literally does, right? Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she feeds Virginia. That's what I'm saying. Steak and kidney pie. I that so I made it like I don't know why. Um, I always find that so hilarious and disturbing. Um, because like whose kidneys are those, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like also just the fact that Betty Davis is. I think it's almost like like. Uh, the extreme version of her coddled character, right? She's literally a grown woman being fed by her old mm-hmm. nanny. Mm-hmm. There's a, a theme here that I think is just dormant enough that it, it doesn't really properly show up, but like I could make the case for it, and that's um, a similar sort of feeling uh, towards the family by having access to all of these uh emotional and like physical ways to to uh relate yourself to the family and that's something that um i'm going to reference a completely different movie here but like uh, something that phantom thread does uh and depending on if how comfortable um familiar with the plot you are the main love interest sort of um revolves around one person's dependence on someone else who uh demonstrates that dependence by uh, and also spoilers for uh phantom thread by poisoning them lightly so that they will come back to them and make them feel better yeah, it's yeah. like a classic, uh, like codependency. Yeah, it's like like they story. um, like the I forgot the protagonist's name in that one, but like he's so fucking intense that it's yeah. actually good for him. Like to be, he enjoys getting lightly poisoned by her because it forces him to chill the fuck out sometimes. Which is exactly what Katie does. My partner Katie does to me sometimes. Like, Jeff, <laughs> he's stuck in eight thousand things. Chill the fuck out. Here's a little poison. Get a frozen pizza and put some mushrooms on there. For legal reasons, I have to tell you that's a joke. <laughs> yes, mm. I love mushrooms <laughs> on my pizza. Mm, of course you do. <laughs> of course I, mean, I do. That's that's such an excellent um, point, Andre. Like I never really thought about that, but um, it is kind of like Phantom Thread in that in that kind of in that way um yeah i mean it's it's almost like this kind of um sick kind of codependency um also can i just make a real quick tangent on fam thread i was so disappointed that it wasn't an actual phantom thread like a haunted (laughs) garment situation but i was too at first (laughs) i thought there was gonna be something more to like the you know sewing like a random thing inside you know in the phantom yeah. thread like like a note or a button or like maybe a lock of hair so like oh shit could we get like a cursed object or something Ooh. like that oh i would have loved the fuck out of that i will say this you're right that would be amazing but i still enjoyed it because i expected it to be like the most boring god-awful movie i've ever fucking seen oh man and then yeah. it was at least a little bit fucked up but i was like okay cool so like I felt like I won the lottery, but you're right. That would awesome. <laughs> As one of my favorite lines too, where uh, the main character is at a party and then he sees someone that he 
didn't like before. And he was like, oh, hello. I think I remember telling you to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but have you all seen In Fabric, which is actually about a cursed piece of clothing? I have not yet. No, but no. It's really good. I liked it, but I can see. Cool. Well, so it just, I feel like it depends on how you feel about Peter Strickland. Um, I still have yet to, to dive into Strickland's work. So yeah, I, I haven't cool. seen his stuff yet. That I'm I'm sorry, this is such a tangent. Um I I'm such a big Peter Strickland fan. Like I think I'm trying to think what like would be like a really good like starter um film, like maybe the Duke of Burgundy, probably. Yeah, that that's I the first thing that that uh popped up for me, so probably gonna anyways do that one. Yeah. Um so uh, I also kind of wanted to talk about like the the father, which I think is such an interesting character. Um, I so um, it's been a little while since I've seen this, and like I said, I was uh, taking a lot of notes, and I think it's interesting how the dad is very much like this staunch, stiff off, stiff upper lip kind of English guy. But then I think it's interesting how they really give him like a warmth that I I think like kind of like they let that shine through a little bit. And uh, yeah, so I was like wondering what you thought of the father character. I mean, I thought it was a good performance. Uh, it definitely, I feel like he was necessary because otherwise you would have your grown up adult dynamics would just be like the suspicious nanny and the panicky mom i mean i guess you could make that work if the conflict is just between her and like the son who has no protector and i guess that could work but it did add i thought it was beneficial that there was something other than just like a panicky person and a suspicious nanny yeah and i think like he's a good like counterbalance like he's he's somebody that almost could be like a point of view character where he's I mean, like, the mom is kind of at the extreme end, and, like, the nanny's almost kind of... The way Betty Davis plays her are, is so interesting, I think, because she's almost like a blank slate. Like, you kind of don't know what's going on. And I think that's intentional. Like, I don't and I don't mean that as, like, it's a bad... badly written character or badly acted. Um, I almost... I think that's pretty deliberate. But, like, the dad character is almost like he's um like the voice of reason and i i almost like to think like he's like such a caricature of like dignified british kind of manhood but then like i think that they give him some like very subtle like tender moments that i think makes it like an interesting characterization like not enough so i feel like it's worth kind of talking about a little bit um what do you think andre yeah i mean he definitely seems like one of those uh character actor types where it's the like the strict like british dad from the 60s uh and at some level you sort of just accept that as the character um I thought there was an interesting moment, though, that 
gives you a glimpse into like his real uh personality rather than like the persona he puts on because he's um i don't know i, I guess you could call him like a workaholic like he just decides to leave the family for like a couple days just so he can go do some job and uh, like beirut or something um he has this moment where he comes into joey's room uh where he's he's taken the gift that they gave him which is like a little like suitcase um record player uh so he's listening to music and he's messing around with with a rope like he's making another hangman's noose and uh the father comes in and then he sees everything that's going on and the first thing that he goes to is like he turns the music off and he just tells him that it's too loud i mean he spends a little bit of time talking to him and trying to ask him questions about why he is uh causing so much trouble but he doesn't um verbally acknowledge the fact that uh his son is tying another noose which in the film this is the second the second one that, that he makes um so th there's like this stiff upper upper lip uh, aspect of the character but it's not always there like it kind of goes lax like what and you know what's interesting is so like we um you know we don't know what his character was like necessarily after this tragedy right like I kind of wonder like how much of that like cold and aloofness is something that's always been in his character or something that's kind of I don't know like um uh, like an uh an after kind of effect of this tragedy um you know because really we don't know these people as characters until after this event you know um <laughs> so i mean that is uh like on what you said like really interesting because um that's kind of the scene that i was thinking of when i think of like i think it's like the only really scene where where you have a one-on-one -on -one with him where he's not like grumpy or barking orders or you know where he just kind of has some quiet moments and that's i mean i appreciate that because like i hate like I, I feel like women especially get this where like they're so one-dimensional nagging shrews and they never get to have any kind of depth or complexity and it was almost like with him too had it not been for that one kind of really good moment that they have together so um yeah and I have to say, I feel like, you know, I, um, Jeff, you you mentioned this uh, in your review, but like the the child actors are really good. Um, yeah, they were they were like, uh, especially like the, the lead was oddly good and believable. Like, yeah, like he's um, like kind of a shithead, but like also kind of endearing. So this actor's name is William Dix. And he did literally two other movies after this. Uh, he was in Dr. Doolittle and something called Superstition from 2001, um, which I'd never heard mm -hmm. of, um, probably for a reason. Um, 
but um yeah he's kind of got that like i don't know like he's definitely mischievous and you can definitely like um i mean like well our introduction to him like is a hell of an introduction um so um the way he's introduced is he's hanging from a noose but then we quickly find out that that was a really cruel prank he pulled on uh, the, um, I guess one of the orderlies um, that he did, that didn't didn't like, um, mm-hmm. which is so like like I I like that it kind of sets up this dark humor like this movie this movie is not a comedy but it definitely does have some sardonically dark kind of humor um so i think like in that regard i think it kind of sets a night like it sets that tone really well it's it's also i would totally agree with you first of all but then i also think it's important to to just re- reiterate the fact that like something you've been talking about and that even if if uh there's a little wiggle room in the interpretation but even if uh i mean it, it does establish that Joey did not kill his sister pretty convincingly. And, but even if he didn't, he's still a fucking dud as far as kids go. Like, he's still a bit of a sociopath. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. And so, like, even if he didn't do that, he still delights in tormenting people. Yeah. And, and, and and again, I kind of like, I, I, I totally agree with that. I almost kind of wonder what he was like before all this, because I mean, it clearly messed up the parents. I mean, it would mess up anybody um, to, I mean, even in a small degree. So, I mean, again, it's kind of like, I wonder if him being kind of a dick was maybe a result of, I mean, it was kind of blamed for killing his sister. I mean, they never, they always frame it like it was an accident. They never thought he did it intentionally. In fact, I think it's interesting that they state that he's in the hospital, not because of that crime, but because he wasn't eating or sleeping. And then they they explain that better later. (laughs) That's really interesting. Yeah, it it is a really neat little movie. I mean, it it definitely has some shaggy plotting, and I think it was just basically for time. But it, it definitely is interesting because of how they kind of deal with these topics, especially something like as hot button as abortion, and they don't skirt around it. I mean, they like it's like like they full on bring it to the forefront. Um, at the end, which I thought was pretty ballsy. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, and then I also need to mention um, the other child actor, Pamela Franklin, um, who's kind of a genre legend. She was in one of my most favorite um, 60s horror films, maybe of all time, The Innocence. And if y'all haven't seen that, drop Mm-mm. everything you're doing and watch it immediately. <laughs> um, no, add it to my list. Jeff, yeah. Andre, have you seen the, that movie? 
I have not. Um, it, it's been on my list for a while. Uh, someone recommended it to me, uh, and it it really just seems like something that I should have seen a while ago. Yeah, I it, just haven't for some reason. Yeah, it's excellent. Like to give you this film's pedigree, it was co-written by Truman Capote. Yeah. So. And Freddie Francis did the photography. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely got some cred, and it was cool because I got to meet the um, the one kid actor from that who played. Um, oh, my mind is Miles uh, Martin Stevens, and so yeah, okay, that's all I'm going to say. Like, there's like a pretty famous scene between Miles and. Deborah Carr's uh, character, which was actually pretty shocking for the for the time, um, but that's all I'll say because I don't want to spoil it. But, anyways, it's amazing. She's also in um, the '70s horror movie The Legend of Hell House. She's in The Food of the Gods, which is also a pretty great um, some pretty great genre fare. Like she did some like serious stuff too. Um, like the prime of of Miss uh, Jean Brody, which is pretty excellent movie with Maggie Smith. But yeah, um, really good actors. Um, definitely like a really weird movie. I don't know if y'all had kind of final thoughts or anything else you wanted to mention about the movie. Um, Luna, did you have any other questions? Um, the one of the main other questions that hasn't really been touched on is um the the aunt pen that so from what i understand again sorry if i forgive me for not watching it so virginia and penn are sisters and it sounds like there's like this previous like the way that nanny interacts with virginia and pen is wholly different or the same as how she's acting with Joey. I'm wondering why, like, how did we get to the point where Nanny is going to prevent Aunt Penn from not having a heart attack? Like, did she always harbor this resentment against Penn and Virginia, or is this, like, out of character? I'm just trying to understand that yeah um i mean it's really interesting like it's um again i feel like the movie doesn't really give you too much as far as like character motivation or like specific feelings about one character for another um like on a super deep level i i know Mm -hmm. that um like I I almost feel like Penn is more, I don't know if I want to say resentful of how Nanny kind of coddles Virginia. But I mean, I kind of get that sense. Mm. I don't know if Jeff, Andre, how you all feel about that. I get that. I get that she kind of feel like Penn kind of feels like you're ridiculous. You're coddling her. Like she's definitely like, night and day different 
from Virginia as far as like the two sisters go. Um, like one is clearly more independent. Um, I don't know if I ever really got the sense that like like there was any kind of resentment. Um, maybe like subtextually, I don't know. What do y'all think? I wouldn't say resentment. Maybe um, there is a thread of mistrust with Penn. I think that that might be one of the things that differ between the sisters where Virginia is like completely like giving like she just like uh, she resigns her uh, like any and all judgment. She just like completely and wholly believes you, you know, whatever you say. Uh, But Penn is a little bit more. Um. I'm not thinking of the word here, but she she's she's not the same way. She is a little bit more pessimistic, maybe, and like questioning of her surroundings, uh, but not to an extreme. Yeah, you get the you get the like the feeling, even though again it's more like subtextual, but you get the feeling that Penn is definitely more like like street smart. She's definitely more of this like the 60s era where Virginia almost feels kind of like I don't know like almost like a dated character like someone that's fussed over and taken care of and you know coddled interesting yeah, yeah that the fact that Penn is more like I guess more um assertive makes mm-hmm be even more excited to watch the film to see that character in juxtaposition with the typical fra- frail, fragile, fragile, yeah. weeping yeah. woman. They, they both have like this medical condition, though. I, I, I actually know. Um, it's just Penn that has it because, like, she is revealed like she has like a weak heart and has to take like medication to you know, keep it from uh, quickening whenever she feels, like, excited, scared, you know, anything that would, like, agitate it. Um, so that that's the, like, the preventing the heart attack um, thing that you that you brought up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, as far as that's concerned, it's, it's a, like, a lot of films will introduce, like, a female character and then, like, just give her... Um, some sort of clinical affliction that makes them into a weak character, but that's not the case in this movie. She she just happens to have this condition, and she instigates as she normally would, but sometimes it does get out of control. And um, there there's a couple moments where they do like show that when she's when she's in the film. Very cool. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued about that character yeah i mean it is an interesting kind of dynamic that they have but again it's almost like i feel like again it's like i wish that they had more time to it really explore and delve deep into these characters and like i understand that like you really couldn't do that with a movie like this and kind of still keep it really lean and well paced um i mean like the movie's only like a little over 90 minutes so i mean it gets 
it gets through a lot of stuff quickly, which is good and bad, I guess. But some of it is you have to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. All right. Well, um, it's been awesome chatting this movie with you. I'm definitely going to be watching it, but I need to go. Um, I got to hit the road. So I will be back next episode. I'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Um, so yeah, well, like, um, I'm glad you all seem to enjoy the movie. So like just wrapping it up, any final, um, things you wanted to mention, um, things you found interesting that, that we didn't get to talk about yet. Um, I don't really have anything we didn't get to talk about yet. I just want to kind of reiterate that I really like its, uh, its suspense is very well developed. Like that's something that the film does really well. Uh, and as something that I, I really like in 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 a good thriller, uh, I, I think that it's absolutely worth watching for the folks at home for uh, for more reasons than that, but for that alone. I, I also um, wanted to just throw out a quick question. Um, I'm curious, like if you thought, and this is for both y'all, if you thought that, was the twist that um if you thought it was well done i mean did you did you kind of always think it was the nanny doing it or um did you think that there was like enough kind of like doubt with joey i pretty much was subscribed to it not being joey because i in these kinds of movies i tend to give them a little bit more uh like weight towards like the fact that they're saying something that is true uh just because like the kids they they don't have a lot of bargaining chips when it comes to like big swings like this uh unless you somehow did um you know plan this whole thing and like kill his sister uh which honestly could be a version of a story sure um but the way that things progress um and just the the dynamic between him and the nanny uh, i think it, it just confirmed my notions that it it was her yeah yeah i feel like they do a good job of of casting initial doubt but um and and developing the reveals gradually i kind of suspected it wasn't joey per se early on but also you do kind of get the feel that he's also kind of disturbed pretty quickly and i wish they kind of explored that a little bit more yeah but um it does a lot to to kind of make you question your assumptions i think yeah, I mean, he was disturbed, sure, but was he down with the sickness? Get up. Come on, get down with the sickness. Open up your head and let it flow into me. No, that's a good, that's a really good point. I, I think what I think was really interesting, especially with revisiting it, she revives Aunt Penn, essentially saving her, which I think is a really interesting a way to um, maybe cast some doubt on it being the nanny because I feel like, like Andre said, you kind of go in with it 
with a with like a preconceived kind of way of how these movies are you know kind of formulaic in a way so what y'all think about that i thought that was kind of a neat way of maybe subverting that a little bit yeah i did think that was like a nice sort of it wasn't even technically a red herring i guess but yeah it was a nice misdirection, I guess, to kind of like, like you're saying, change your expectations a little bit and just keep it from being like a too formulaic, too cookie cut. What'd you think, Andre? Yeah, it, it was, um, it was almost unexpected, but then like it sort of makes a little bit of sense when, uh, when you think how independent the sister is, where, uh, if she just like, pretends to be like a normal nanny and like nothing happens when she's around you know she'll go back home and uh then like she can resume her operations so it's like a it, it was surprising at first in retrospect but then like contextualizing everything that uh the nanny does it, it does make sense except for um which then leads into it's kind of like a mirror scene where she she uh, saves him and then she saves her and then uh right at the end denies her the one thing that she used before that she needs like the heart medicine and it's it's almost like i kind of like again they don't really do a great job but it's almost like i feel like she's quote unquote normal and then she just kind of has a break and then does these things and then is like back to normal so you know for me where the disconnect was was when those kind of disconnects for her happened did she have like she was she obviously was um thinking clearly when she saved aunt pen at the beginning but then at the end you know, she kind of was having a break again and was like, nope, you got, you got to go. <laughs> you know, um, which again is interesting, but also I kind of wish that some more care would have been taken with maybe making that feel a little more connected organically. Yeah, I feel like yeah. they could have fleshed it out a little bit more, but I still didn't think it was poorly done. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and like, I, I definitely wanted to highlight this movie just because I think it is a very effective, weird little black and white hammer film that I think more people need to see. And, you know, it's really, it's pretty well written. I just think that there is definitely, I wish it maybe would have had a stronger you know, additional draft of the of the screenplay, but um, I mean, gosh, yeah. it's so well photographed, it's well acted. How disturbing was it when you actually like see her in the bathtub? Yeah, I thought that was really unsettling. I mean, I feel like Hammer never would have done that in like a pre baby jane psycho landscape you know yeah i mean i feel like because like psycho i mean like you're saying this is definitely like one of the post psycho sort of everybody's making like a thriller now uh 
and Psycho was shocking enough for its day, but then to have like a plot around like dead drowned children and someone trying to kill children is pretty it wasn't like the only one in that time period, but it definitely was one of the more shocking ones in terms of like the depravity of the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it definitely does not like it, it doesn't suffer fools in how like it's not going to coddle you like right away like i said we get you know essentially you think the main kid hung himself um i mean it turns out he didn't but i mean you know there's that kind of like that moment where you think like oh shit like this movie could do anything because obviously something as the troubling implications of a kid hanging himself is not beyond the pale for this movie you know you know what i mean right um like i think that that's such a brilliant way to introduce the character because yeah he's kind of messed up um but who wouldn't be in that situation probably. But then also like it does a lot of um, heavy lifting because not only does it kind of, like I said, introduces this kind of darkly humorous element, but also just how this movie is kind of unpredictable. Like you don't exactly know where it's going to go. And I, you know, I could see that being legitimately shocking um for an audience that wasn't used to like what we're kind of desensitized to now right uh andre did you have anything you wanted to add or comment on if like if anyone has like if anyone listening has seen this and like they like the the overall uh aesthetic the vibe like just how the film feels progression wise uh their thrillers are pretty much all kind of like this uh hammer that is where there is some like you know very clearly like post psycho ones like uh the maniac or fanatic which also is called die die my darling um stop me before i kill uh even like I know the snorkel came out before Psycho, but it it kind of feels like one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like Paranoiac. Paranoiac is good. Yeah, uh, early Oliver Reed is always very interesting to watch. <laughs> uh, yeah, even like I would I would probably put this in with like something like Cash on Demand, which is oh, it's yeah. just like a it's just like a bank robbery movie. You know, like one of those thrillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the one that I think really pushes the envelope still, uh, is like the 1960, uh, never take sweets from a stranger. Yes. That one is like, that one hits really hard. Um, and like, there's something about these hammer productions that aren't like, you know, the full on Dracula Frankenstein or properties but they still have this uh this aspect of dread and um some sort of air of hopelessness to it that 
they feel like stage plays, basically. And that's both their blessing and their curse, where each each film it, it feels like one of those productions. Um and I don't know, that there's just something about it that's just like really uh handmade and like charming about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey Jeff, have you seen Cash on Demand or Never Take Candy? Or wait, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Never Take Candy from a Stranger. I think I've seen the latter, but it's been a couple of years. Um, uh, I haven't seen Cash on Demand. Cash on Demand is <clears throat> awesome. I I love that movie. Like, <laughs> oh, me too. Like, I got really excited when you mentioned that because, um. It's such a great plot. It it almost is kind of like um like uh, a Christmas carol almost kind of. Yeah. Um like nice. almost like a retooling of that, um, but in a, a heist and oh gosh, that's no ghosts. It's but yeah. One. Only humans. Yeah, but like but yeah, but but without any spoilers, you can kind of see how that's <clears throat> Oh yeah, definitely. Maybe like a re, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, that's a good one, like to watch around the holidays if you can, um, Jeff. Okay, cool. And um, yeah, I, I would say uh, a good Christmas double with that cash on demand and uh, the silent partner. Ooh, oh, yeah. With, uh, Elliot Gould um, and I think John Candy is a uh, is a. Like, supporting actor in a couple scenes but yeah um i would definitely agree that like it definitely like so i was kind of even toying around with maybe doing like um never take candy from a stranger or i guess never take sweets from a stranger depending on who's titling it but um but i also didn't want to spend uh, a lot of time talking about that grotesque subject. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is fair. Um, or like, like the torture duckling or whatever. Yeah. Although I will say that is a good movie. And oh, it's. I'm assuming all these are pretty good movies, but that that one's definitely a good one. It would so be a hard a one disturbing. to want to talk about. Yeah. Perfect. Well, hey, Mike. Um, thank you both for for the choice and for emceeing this excellent episode. Uh. Folks at home, definitely um, check the film out if you if you get a shot. Um, we are all here at Humans from Deep Dive of the opinion that more hammer horror in your life is always the right move, and this is a really uh, strong thriller with some really unsettling themes. That Mike, uh, so glad you picked it and that you brought all that out. You just nailed it. So thank you so much for choosing this and for emceeing today. Yeah. Uh, I hope it wasn't too weird and awkward, but I'm weird and awkward. Uh, so that's kind of my brand. So it's all good. <laughs> uh, no, it was really fun. Um, I'm so glad y'all uh, enjoyed the movie. And uh, I would definitely say if you haven't seen it and um, check it out. It's I don't think it's very hard to find, but it's yeah, worth checking out. Yeah, like I, I would say, like it's not one of the Hammer's uh, most known properties, mostly because that goes to anything with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. 
but it's definitely not one of their least known, and you can absolutely find it in Betty Davis's Legend. So, but here's here, um, hear me out. What if Christopher Lee played the um, Joey character? <laughs> like totally, oh, I mean, obviously. That explains the screen charisma. Like, yeah, no, like, but like, don't mention it. Like, he's supposed to be a kid. Like, he's got a slingshot and. Like he's <laughs> got like the oversized lollipop. Like he's... and you're like, this is such a convincing portrayal. Wait, 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 wait. Asterisk adjusts glasses. Asterisk. Is that Christopher Lee? He can do anything, really. Yeah. Is that horror and Star Wars and metal concept album legend Christopher Lee right there as that child? Yeah, I Love I, it. I would approve of that, but um. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, check it out. It's uh, it doesn't have Christopher Lee as a child in it, unfortunately, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> That's our summary of every movie from now on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, well, The Witch is generally a five out of five star movie, but um, fair warning, it does not have Christopher Lee as a child. I just want to see that. Uh, okay, but uh, just for to conclude, uh, uh, Mike, tell the folks at home how they can find you, as always. Uh, yeah, so I am um, on Twitter at Strange Cinema sixty five. Um, you can find my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, on Amazon, and I am also on Letterbox at Kubrick six double five three two one. Fantastic, and uh, once again, thank you for. And seeing you fucking killed it. Oh, um, there's going to yeah, be an just... investigation because it's very, very dead. Um, <laughs> Thanks, I had a blast. And then, absolutely. Uh, and then, Andre, uh, how can the folks at home find you? Uh, you can always find me on Letterboxd under Hamburger Harry. Uh, I have a Medium blog, uh, Celluloid Consomme, and you can find me on Twitter at Demoni Disco. Spelled like it sounds. Fantastic. Thank you as always for, for being here today. Um, she can't be here to uh to she had she had to go and can't be here to hear this, but um when she listens back to the episode, Luna, thank you for being on today's episode. And uh folks at home, you will be able to find the entire uh month of October is our sort of celebration of one year anniversary of the show. We started late October of last year. And so stay tuned for more episodes that'll have uh, rotating hosts this time and, uh, and a very, very special uh, celebration of two of our favorite Halloween movies. More on that later this month. Uh, have a great spooky season. And I hope that your house is, uh, full of all the scary things and monsters and ghosts and goblins and, and whatnot. And please join us next time. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were 
key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive.